One thing we were going to ask you about, but I guess this kind of uh, goes with wrestling too. Like, if we're in a very PC culture right now. Is that is it, does that create harder obstacles for you to do your comedy? Or is, again, does that just go back to fuck it? I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. If they don't want me, then I won't do the gig. Well, not so much fuck it. I mean, like, yeah, in a way, fuck it. But like, the people that are yelling and screaming about everything, PC culture, you know, canceled is all Ugh. that. Those people don't go out. They're losers in front of computers. That's the thing. They're the minority. They're a loud minority. And you go to a comedy club, no one is yelling, please don't say words. They're not. They're there for comedy. They want to take it and they want to laugh. So, like, a lot of these comics are getting scared and saying, oh, do you see it? Because, yeah, you're getting shut down on social media. Well, then don't put that shit on social media. Go on stage, make people come see you, and they're going to laugh at what you do, and if you're funny, they'll support it. Bill Burr is still putting out hours. Yeah. Chappelle is still putting out hours. No one's stopping me. Mark Norman's new special is great, and it's not PC at all. I mean, Jim Jeffries' new thing, he's not, he's not holding anything goddamn back. When you're good at it, and you do it, people will pay for it and see it. It's just the people that want attention and likes, but in the audience, the only thing you're supposed to like is the comic. So it actually switches. So that's all it really is, even with wrestling. I think if you go to a, if you go to a ring... If you go to arena and watch a wrestling match that you could again, you're not worried about what they're saying or, or too much blood. You're just watching the moment, the story. That's it. But like at TV, I don't really, I can't have my kids see this. Okay, then turn it off. You don't have to yell. You don't have to try to get rid of them. You don't have to shut down what they're doing. Just watch something else. Another question I want to ask you, comparing a little bit to comedy to wrestling here, we've had a lot of trainers on this show, like Al Snow, George South. Ken Anderson, Rudy Gonzalez, though. He Dr. was one. Tom Pritchard. Yeah, yeah. Rudy Gonzalez, though, who trained him and Shawn Michaels helped train Daniel Bryan. We're talking about the greatest love was like actually getting to train people. Like he loved training more than wrestling. Pat, I understand you've done some seminars and trained people and uh, unfortunately trained AJ, too. Um, <laughs> but not counting AJ. <laughs> Is there a certain love did you get out of training as well? Is it just completely different? Or how would you compare training to performing? Well, it's selfish because I don't believe in, I, I don't, I, maybe I've, it, I've said this at the beginning of every comedy school I've taught, I don't believe in comedy class. I don't believe, mm. I can't teach someone to be funny. Sure. But if, some, just like wrestling school, there are some people who need to go to a couple of schools or some people who can just make an extra talk. Some people don't know how to get into something. If you need, if you can't, if you don't have the balls to just go to an open mic, put your name on a list and try for the first time, and you need that kick, which is take a class, then good, I'm happy that's there. That's what it should be there for, just to open the door to say, my, all my classes, my book, everything is about how not to fail at open mics, because that's all you should be doing is going there and doing that. But that being said, when I teach comedy classes, or I help someone one-on-one, -on -one, or I help someone with their ex, it makes me feel like I'm going back to the gym, if you will. You know, yeah. like, almost like in Rocky Three, when Rocky and Anthony and Apollo's like, come with me to my gym in LA. And we go out there, and then you see all the island tigers, all these hungry people with passion. And you need to be around that. So when I'm watching young people care about comedy and wanting to learn it, it makes me go, yeah, I, I need to feel like that. So I keep writing, and I'm pushing myself. So constantly being around it is good. So I do it for more of a selfish aspect than anything else. I don't care about them. Obviously, I don't, I'm happy AJ quit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is the second... 
<laughs> Rocky Three reference we've had on this podcast. The other one was Danny Moff, who, if you don't know, is a 300-pound Puerto Rican wrestler who's known for brawling and busting people up. I would have not have not thought the second Rocky Three reference would be from Pat Oates, but I'm pretty happy it was, though. Oh, I, I, I am one of the biggest Rocky fans in the world. Yes. Obviously, there, I have a dispute with one thing. There is no such thing as Rocky Five. That's a, oh. that's a it, never, it was never made. Yes. So if you bring it up, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't happen. Oh. I, and, I, and I'm... I have equal opportunity. When I go running for my runs every day, I listen to soundtrack music from both White Rocky and Black Rocky. That's how good I am. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Black Rocky is Creed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, if, and like yourself, I like to believe that they went straight from the Russian killing Apollo to uh, Rocky training his son. To me, that's just the only way to remember it. Why, why, I, what I think happened was there was like a Jacob's Ladder scenario where <laughs> <laughs> it was just that we were dead the whole time. Because why would Rocky help out this guy who ended up getting AIDS in real life and had a weird time? <laughs> I don't know what that story is. The Go For It song is fine. They could have kept the Go For It song. <laughs> it's about it. Oh, man. <laughs> Hard to follow that one. Um... How do you not love Rocky if you're a wrestling fan? That was the That's what Rocky 3 is what made wrestling mainstream to everyone. Oh, you know what's funny, too? I, that's, I want to say this, though, because I, I do love Rocky, so you're right. I like Rocky and wrestling. But it's funny being a wrestling fan. I was out with this girl a couple weeks ago. We had dinner, came back to my place. Not that good of a story. We just watched some reality TV shows. But I realized, well, there's some better stuff, but we're not going to include that in his names. But, uh, but we're watching the show, and it's funny. Like She's buying into this, and I realized as a wrestling fan, I'm seeing through everything now. I'm like, oh, they did that as like a shoot angle. That's not really real, though. That's bullshit. And I had to like shut up because I was ruining this for her. Everything's a work. Of course it's a work. What are you, second more? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a work. Everything in life becomes a work. Too. <laughs> we don't have to worry about her age. That wasn't, that wasn't part I, of this. I, I got to tell you, I would love to have a conversation with your co-host Brandon from the Files because I piss my wife off constantly because every conspiracy theory she comes up with, I tell her that everything's a work because of wrestling, that somebody's behind everything. That's what he believes. It's a work. It's run by like seven or eight people. It's crazy. <laughs> I've been friends with Brandon for most of my comedy career, and he's a guy, he did a little bit of comedy here and there, but mostly was a DJ, and then, but also someone who always you know got involved in things at a crazy level and following them. And he does not believe going out to eat with him right now is amazing because he will not wear a mask. He fights with everyone and everything. It's amazing to watch, <laughs> and he's got a way. He's got a way to make to, to have an answer to everything anyone says. And I'm sitting there behind him with a mask and just wanting a burrito. That's it. That's I yeah, I, I told my wife that Beyonce Knowles is actually in charge of everything, and she's furious at me. <laughs> I'd like to use her last name. No, <laughs> no one says Knowles anyway. You use government name Beyonce. I'm <laughs> I was going to go with Beyonce Z, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> is that her last name? <laughs> <laughs> That one got me a little late. <laughs> so, one other thing we wanted to ask you about, copy related to, because I, I watched some of your podcasts, and it was episode two, and you have the two fat kids in the back eating McDonald's. <laughs> he's, been, he's been dying to ask you about this. Well, I just thought about, like, you were talking about how yeah, life sucks, I'm doing play-by-play for this, and I thought that I had to ask, what are some of the strangest jobs or gigs you've gotten 
in comedy. It's gotta be. Um, I the strangest one I ever did was I performed an adult Jewish day camp. It's in Upper State New York. Uh, it's kind of like the movie Meatballs, but with just old people, not kids. They're all the youngest person was like seventy. <laughs> and it really was. It was during the day. Me and a comic, Mike Manoia, he was brand new. I was only a couple years in. We got the gig. We went up there during the day. There's no electricity at all. Wow. And they had a siren. They would blare to get the people into the main hall, which I don't know if you guys know history, but if you hit a siren and a bunch of Jews go into one room, it's just kind of thing. But that's how we had to do the show, but there was no lights or microphones. They lit a, uh, what they call memorial death candles all across the stage. And then so here I am with my bald head screaming at oh. these people, trying to get them to laugh and think, well, I can't do any pop culture, nothing. I, I pretended that I met Jackie Mason at Yankee Stadium, because I thought those are things they liked. <laughs> made it up to this long story. And they weren't fans, but it was a weird gig. I performed in strip clubs. Like you said, I, uh, I've had for radio, I've had to be a judge for mothers doing karaoke, uh, air guitar to win tickets to NSYNC. I've had to do that thing. You saw that, uh, that that's not a guy named uh, Ski Mask, his podcast. Two fat people eating the most McDonald's as I did play my play. It's, it's been a fun thing. Yeah, I don't feel so bad about bringing you to Pistol Pete's anymore. Yeah. Pistol Pete's <laughs> is one of the highlights of my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing you up in that camp, though, in upstate New York, with half the audience going, he's no Henny Youngman. I saw him in the Catskills. Uh, and some of them are like, who's Henny Youngman? Is he little Henny Youngman? Oh. <laughs> but this so, part of that story was, somebody got so mad at me, they got up to leave. But they had a walker. So as they were trying to leave, it was so silent. Is your cuckoo, cuckoo, and they breathe and go, Oh my God. All right, Pat, we won't keep you any longer. We appreciate you doing the pod with us. You've been absolutely awesome. Please, anything you want to promote, please share with us. The Podophiles podcast, I'm going on YouTube. It's on uh, Podophiles podcast, the channel there. Also my own channel, Pat channel. That's where my Pat podcast is. And my show, POS, which is also on Compound Media. So yeah, I name every show after myself. But uh, <laughs> there are all three different shows there. Uh, please check all of those out. We will definitely stop in for that. Thank you very much for that, Pat. That's awesome. Hopefully we'll see you in August um, at the show. And thank you for everything, Pat. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I mean, I'll talk wrestling forever. So thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome to come back anytime and promote anything you want to promote. Hit me up. I'd love to talk about pay-per-views or whatever. It'd be great. Working Fans Podcast. Cool. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer Joe may likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know 
what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Hey, this is Kid Cash, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. Check it out. It's the Working Fans Podcast. It's the man they call Dave, and I'm here today. we got a special guest, a former ECW TV champion, former TNA X Division champion and tag champion, also a former WWE Cruiserweight champion. Guy's done it all. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only KIDD, Kid Cash. Mr. Cash, how are you today, sir? I'm great, how are you? I'm good, sir, I'm good. I saw you started out in 1989. I know you were trained by Ricky Morton and Tim Horner. Were you always a lifelong wrestling fan, though? Yeah, you, you know, I watched it. Uh, I grew up in uh, Central Virginia, and I, I grew up on NWA, and that, that's all we got. Uh, every now and then, you know, we would get, like, Georgia Championship Wrestling, you know, but that would be, like, really late at night or a channel, you know, and stuff like that, so, but that, I mean, I watched it, you know, but I grew up in the, you know, the 70s and 80s, so, you know, I had a lot of land and stuff like that, and, you know, horses and stuff, so we worked a lot as kids, you know, out there in the fields and stuff like that, and but whenever I did get a chance to watch it, I did like it, you know, and had my favorites. So, were you very familiar with Ricky Morton? Oh, yeah, yeah, I go whenever, like I said, I was, you know, I was... 70s and 80s, so whenever, uh, I don't know, probably about 1985 or 6, it's probably when I first saw them, and it was uh, NWA, brought, brought those guys in, and yeah. That's the time I started following NWA as well, was during that Rock and Roll Express, Four Horsemen kind of era. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like training with Ricky, Tim Horner? Did they ever give you any really good advice that you still use today, out of the ring and in the ring? Yeah, you know, just take your time. <laughs> just take your time, man. You know, don't don't overload yourself, and you know, listen to the crowd. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But which, you know, not that I wrestle anymore, you know, but um, it kind of works in life, you know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Have you uh, have you been able to get any independent dates with everything going on, or I haven't been looking for any. Uh, I retired in 2015, okay. and uh, I was. Yeah, I was I was out for till about 2000, late late 18, and I just started doing a few shows here and there, you know, just you know once once every three or four months, you know, just for some people that I knew, and you know, I didn't have to drive far or anything like that, you know, just something to you know just kind of be a part of it still in a way, you know, and mostly being more of an agent kind of guy back in their dressing rooms. I was doing UCW for a while, you know, down in Georgia, and, you know, they draw big crowds, and he had, like, a lot of big-name stars and stuff like that on the show. So him and myself and Kevin Sullivan would kind of run the dressing room, and we were doing TV tapings and stuff like that. So Kevin was 
running kind of like all the TV kind of stuff, you know, and then I was running the dressing room as far as the guys and, you know, critiquing the younger guys and, you know, that kind of thing. So I kind of like doing that. And plus, I still do seminars, things of that nature, you know, I get booked on those quite, quite a bit. So, but I have a real job, you know, I'm a project superintendent for a pretty large construction company and we build hotels and things like that, you know, and high-rises and stuff, so I just wrestle here and there, you know, and I have the insurance and, the, you know, a good paycheck, so I don't want to mess any of that up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You keep yourself in good shape. I saw you do a few, like, things with TNA, like, maybe a couple months ago they had something with you on, where there was, like, moose or something, I want to say, and... Uh, yeah, they brought me down, and just for a couple of days, you know, didn't hardly know anybody at all. I mean, just as far as the staff goes, you know, like uh, Chris Saban and Dino Brown and, you know, guys like that. But pretty much everybody else, I, I was like, wow, it's been a long time. <laughs> you know? I hear but yeah, I mean, I'm still keeping in shape, you know, and I train, you know, pretty much every day and still do, you know, martial arts training and, you know, working out in the mornings and stuff before I go to work and stuff, you know. Yeah, you were training do a lot of, before do a lot of domestic before. stuff. You were always training even before you got into pro wrestling, right? You were always being into martial arts and boxing and stuff, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yes. I was boxing when I was uh, seven years old. My dad was a boxer. He boxed through the, in the, after Vietnam. He boxed in the Navy through the rest of his time, you know, and uh, picked up on that. And when I was about seven years old, we started training with him a little bit. Doing the Pee Wee Boxing League, you know, and teenage stuff and then uh, started taking martial arts at about 10 years old and, and started, you know, wrestling in school and, you know, things like that. I never played football or baseball, but wrestled and, you know, boxed and did Krav Maga and Aikido. Wow. <laughs> I always heard that, um, like, I always remember reading stories and stuff like that, that you were a guy who could handle himself if anything ever went wrong. So I guess it probably helped you out, like, in the wrestling business if anyone tried to take advantage of you, I'd imagine. You know, it, it did, you know, and, and at first, you know, Ricky and, you know, Tim and the rest of the people that had a lot, you know, with my training and stuff, you know, they, you know, at first they were telling me to always respect the veterans and just listen to them and, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, a couple of the older guys back in the day, whenever I was young and stuff, you know, I'd show up with Ricky or Tim or somebody like that. So if I wrestled them, they would like, just beat the living shit out of you, mm. you know, and well, they just hammer you, and you, I just thought that's the way wrestling was supposed to be, you know, <laughs> so I would just start giving it back, you know, and then I noticed that once I started giving it back a little bit, they lightened up a whole lot, you know, <laughs> but as far as taking the beating, it wasn't a big deal for me, you know, because I was used to that kind of physical abuse, you know, mm -hmm. just, just in all the training growing up. You know, still do to this day, as a matter of fact. You know, one thing, I'm a big MMA and boxing fan as well as pro wrestling. And one thing I I feel like pro wrestlers don't always get the respect they deserve for their toughness in that community. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was looking at, like, like some of the injuries, a lot of, like, Kurt Angle, like, he's had a lot of injuries in pro wrestling. And, like, I was looking at you, like, in the beginning, like, you had a point in your career, like, early on, you broke both your ankles in a match. Yeah, I was in uh, the WWE and training Chattanooga and in a tag team match, and we did uh, Pearl Karanas. 
get both your ankles broken if you're able to again that goes to you were used to being able to take a lot of punishment too and probably had a better yeah, think, pain tolerance than those people yeah, I, think, I think the public is more fixated on the fake part of it than really you know thinking about what it really takes to be a good pro wrestler and the things we go through and the, what we put our bodies through you know i'm uh almost 51 so I'm living right now, you know, just with a lot of discomfort because of all those years, you know. I've broken both of my legs. I've torn ACLs two or three times a piece. Rotor cups for two or three times a piece. Tore my pec, my bicep, my shoulder, my trap. Broken my jaw, my nose, my oral socket. He named it hands, feet. <laughs> a couple ribs along the way. It's it's a different kind of toughness because I mean like I I have nothing but respect for MMA fighters too but I mean at the same time it's a different kind of toughness. We'll take Mick Foley for example to get your, your ear ripped off <laughs> and you're still you know yeah. and doing like well you're it, oh my god it's just it's unbelievable. Well, I, uh, well, I lived with uh, Mick Foley uh, the night I broke my ankles when I got to the back have that camaraderie where everybody has each other's back in that situation. Yeah, I'll do that now. Speaking of injuries and toughness, now you eventually made it back to ECW and you had an incident very early on. You broke your jaw and then you didn't miss any time, didn't miss a match. You wrestled the next day and it's shortly after that they got the TV title on you briefly. Do you think they put you in that position because of the the toughness you showed and your willingness to work? Yeah, uh, that had a big part of it. Uh, I did. I broke my jaw on a Friday night at uh, Center Stage in Atlanta. And the very next day, uh, we were going to be going from there to Birmingham to wrestle a pay-per-view uh, a couple of days later. This was on a Friday night, and Sunday we were doing the pay-per-view. On well, Saturday, well, I stayed up all night trying to find doctors. There was a flu epidemic going on down in Atlanta, so nobody considered broken jaw a life-threatening injury. So hmm. I had to wait for hours and hours in two different uh, hospitals. So I just went on back to my hotel room and got on the phone and started, you know, phone book and started calling just doctors all, you know, of course it was late, nobody was open. One doctor actually called me back within about an hour, and I met him and Marietta about 
seven, six o'clock in the morning. Gave him two autographed pictures, took a couple of pictures with him, and he wired my jaw shut. And then from there, I went back down to Atlanta and uh, got me a couple of prescriptions from the CVS, took a nap, and then drove to uh, Cornelia, Georgia with Jerry Lynn. And then we did a tag team match, leading up with AJ Styles, one of the kids, yeah, one of the guys. And then from there, I went back down to Atlanta, did an appearance, and then drove all the way to Birmingham, Alabama on Sunday morning and told Paul if he didn't put me on the pay-per-view, then I would quit. Because <laughs> he took me out, they thought I wasn't coming back, you know, so he took me off the pay-per-view and I showed up. And I, I actually had to sign uh, waivers for the night that if anything happened, then I wouldn't be, you know, holding liable. So, but he wound up letting me on the show and we did like a, like an eight man tag team. Oh man! Now, when I still did my flips too. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. What's your opinion? Uh, I mean, he's kind of a lightning rod. People seem to love him or hate him. But how is your relationship with Paul Heyman? I had a great relationship with Paul. Honestly, I've never had a problem with him. He thought he was always supportive of me from day one. I mean, he already knew who I was when I first met him. You know, and just word of mouth and people talking good about me and plus you know me I tag team with Ricky uh, Morton for a few good years you know in the beginning so that kind of elevated my name a little bit you know around you know the indies and then other places you know like that too so uh, so when I met him I shook his hand and I was David Jericho back then and it was like uh well, David Jericho, how are you? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm fine, Paul Heyman, how are you? You know, and he always kind of, you know, Northerners, they kind of like that Southerner side of people, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he thought I was funny and I thought he was funny. You know, we both talked funny. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, he gave me an opportunity. He didn't have to. Rob Van Dam is the one who introduced us. And Rob was trying to get me an ECW for a good year before I wound up actually just taking a chance because I drove up. You know, I lived in Johnson City, Tennessee. I wrestled on a Friday night in North Carolina with Rob. And Rob was like, you need to come to ECW and all this other stuff, you know. I, I, you know, I can at least get you a match if you show up, you know. So I drove all the way back from Winston-Salem, North Carolina to Johnson City, which is about four and a half hours. And I got home at about one o'clock in the morning. And I would turn on the TV, and late, late at night on the FSN channel, there was ECW back then. Mm. And so I watched it, and I was watching a match with Little Guido and Mikey Whipwreck, and I was like, shit, I'd do all of that. You know, no problem. Mm. I can hang with these guys. So I called him, and I was like, where are you guys, when are you, you going to be back up in ECW? And he goes, tomorrow. That's where I'm headed right now. And I was like, all right. So I was like, give me directions. So he gave me directions. I Packed me up some clothes and just at one thirty in the morning, I think, and then uh, hit the road by two, and I was there about ten a.m. in the morning. Now, like fast forward a little bit. Now, when you got the TV title briefly, yeah, you know you've been in the wrestling. I'm gonna guess for maybe around a little bit at that time. Did you feel like you were starting to make it at that point? I didn't really know much about ECW at the time, mm-hmm. honestly, but I had already had some. Pretty good old trips, you know, from to like Mexico and, and Puerto Rico and places like that. So was already, you know, talking to people, you know, and getting stuff set up for Japan and places like that, you know. So, I mean, 
at the time I wasn't thinking I was making any anything. Uh, I was just trying to stay consistent and like Ricky and Tim always told me, whatever you do, keep your name out there. You know, so it doesn't matter where you're wrestling, but there's always going to be somebody to report on it. So I did as many independent shows as I could do. You know, Mexico was would, would take me. I'd wrestle for all of them, and then I'd, I'd drive all damn night to do a little shotgun indie show, you know. So at that time, I wasn't thinking about making it, per se. I was just trying to stay busy. But then once I was there, I realized that this is going to be a pretty big thing, <laughs> you know. Did Paul give you the Kid Rock persona kind of thing, or how did that come about? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, well, see, I was there with Jericho, and I was there from, like, 95 to late 96, and broke my leg. And so I was out till 98. So when I went back, Chris Jericho had already been there since I had been gone and went to WCW. So the Jericho name was kind of, you know, thrown out there pretty big. You know, he, he gave a gave a big identity to the name, you know. So when I went back, they were like, you know, let's call you something else. So at first I was going as Davey Morton and Davey Cash and a couple of other different names that they were just throwing along the way. And then the night, so they did all the production out of Paul's basement at his house. Wow. So, yeah, this is the old school now. Like whenever you got two TVs set up, you got mm. the two, you know, the recorders and the VCR and all that stuff, you know. That's how they did it, the old school way. And but anyway, MTV was playing on one of the TVs. So while they were filming, I mean, uh, recording the match that I just had with Easy Bunny, at the end of it, the tape popped out and the TV came back on, and Kid Rock video was playing mm. on MTV. And so we both had the long hair. We had like a little bit of a look, you know, together the same. So I show up in Poughkeepsie, New York, and Tommy Dreamer walks by me and says hello to me. And as he's walking by, he stops and turns around, and he's like, by the way, you're no longer David Jericho, Paisano, Morton, and all that. And I'm like, okay, who am I? <laughs> he goes, you are now Kid Cash. And I was like, okay. He goes, do you know who Kid Rock is? And I was like, I don't. And he goes, okay, we'll do some research this week while you're home, and I want you to look like him next week. <laughs> that's where uh, I went to Hot Topic and got some baggy pants and some boxer shorts and a hat and showed it up. Love professional wrestling, but man, what a business, huh? Like, where else would that be where you're like, you're now Kid Cash and you have to go? <laughs> yeah. It's a research. And I, did, you know, I didn't know the whole thing behind it for years until one day Tommy Dreamer was TNA in our dressing room and then told me the story how it all came about. Before I move on from ECW, I got two people I want to ask you about that would have worked there. New Jack. How was New Jack? Uh, you got to love New Jack. Yeah. New Jack was awesome. I knew him from the Smoky Mountain wrestling days. Mm-hmm. And uh, after he left, he went to ECW. And then shortly after that, I left and went to ECW as well. So him and Mustafa, they were uh, had a great tag team and stuff. You just gotta know how to handle New Jack, you know. Yeah. Uh, New Jack is New Jack, and don't try to micromanage him or anything like that. Don't try to give him advice and calm me down or anything like that. Just go with it, and you know if it's not, if he gets a little too crazy, then you know kind of mosey along somewhere else, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
I, I just don't get a, it, yeah, just don't get in the way after that, you know. I think we've all had that friend. <laughs> just like, all right. Yeah, um, I mean, but a lot of people take, you know, I mean, New Jack is New Jack. I mean, if, if anybody who knows him or has ever been around him knows that he just says whatever is on his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it offends people, he don't care. So, you know, why go around him if you are going to be offended by him, you know? So, sure. So, uh, you know, he never offended me. You know, he liked me and we got along and, you know, we loved Ricky Morton to death because Ricky helped. And then the stop out, you know, a lot in the Smoky Mountain days. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, building his knowledge and stuff like that of the sport, you know, and, you know, matches and things. So, but, uh, you know, we, we, we always had a good relationship. So, I mean, I never had a problem with him. He never had a problem with me. And, you know, we hug every time we see each other. I just don't go drinking with him. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, actually, okay, good. That's a good segue, because the next guy I was going to ask you was uh, Sandman. Sandman, I love him to death. You know, when I first met Sandman, I, I didn't know what to think of him, because he was just so Philadelphia. Mm. Just everything was yo, he was loud. If you ever watch a Rocky Balboa yeah. movie or something like that, and he epitomizes the, the true Philadelphia man, you know what I mean? So he was a little bit of a shock to me at first, you know, but he grew on me. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about him is that he, he did, you know, he got drunk off of his ass. And then until I figured it out, when when he wasn't drunk, he couldn't wrestle. <laughs> Shit. But when he was drunk, he wrestled you know, like, actually pretty good. You know, he could do arm drag, hurricanas, and, you know, things like that. You know, things you would never expect him to be able to do, you know. But the only thing I didn't like about him was, man, if you were ever in the way of him swinging that cane, you were going to hurt, you know. I mean, because he was drunk, he would just take your brains out. (laughs) I mean, and he would always hit you with the tip of that damn thing, too, you know, so... And I never understood why, because I'm short and he's got very long arms, you know, so it's not that he couldn't hit his target, <laughs> you know, but. I think that the uh, fact that he wrestled better drunk, I think we just gave a new definition to the word functioning alcoholic. <laughs> that's oh, absolutely, yeah, it definitely was. And plus, he was a riot, too, after the matches, you know, and back in the dressing room and, you know, listening to him tell stories in that drunk manner of his, you know, and. Then, of course, you would see him at the hotel bar, you know, still going. And just there was no stop to him, you know. All right, so actually, one more question about ECW before we move on then. Was there any uh, any funny road stories or anything like that that come to mind with ECW times? Did you continue? Yeah, the thing about the, one of the road stories with me, I was the only one at that time living in the South. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ECW, the one thing I... <laughs> Paul, made me, when I first went there, Paul made me pay my dues, you know, and that's why we have a lot of respect for each other and stuff because, you know, I respect the fact that he made me pay my dues and he respects the fact that I paid him and I did it willingly. So like the first year, dude, I had to drive to every single fucking town. So I drove from Johnson City, Tennessee to Philadelphia, to Allentown, to New York City, to everywhere, you know. Yeah, and Staten Island, Maine, Connecticut, I mean, I drove. And so by the time the shows were over with and everybody flew back home, it was taking me, and depending on where I was at, 
sometimes it was taking me two days to get home. So once I did get home, I would have about two days to sleep it all off, get my you know laundry done and clean the house and get things ready for the next two days to go back out on the road. So I spent a lot of time on my own, you know, by myself. So I didn't really, you know, get to drive around with too many people while I was there because I was always driving up from Tennessee, you know. But uh, a lot of crazy stories at the hotels. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if anybody would want me to tell those stories. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Now, I can have it in my notes here, too. One thing, you wrestled, if this is correct, one match in WCW, and it was like literally a week or month later the company was bought? Yeah. No, it wasn't even a month. It was like two weeks. Wow. I talked to WCW, John Linitis, and they sent me a deal. I signed the deal. A week later, I went and did a uh, Thunder and had a great, really good match and went home. And we were, I had my packet, you know, for the next week. Uh, we were going to be in Panama City. John called me the day before. I was going to even told me to just hold off. Just a lot of things were going on and. Uh, he was going to get back to me and on the next on the next uh, road trip. Well, then of course I had to watch. You know, I was watching, and then I saw what happened. And mm. then about two days later, he calls me back, and they told me that WWE bought the company. You know, bought WCW. They had a lot of wrestlers. They had two companies now, so they wanted to keep me. But the conditions have changed. When I signed, uh, Jimmy Hart kind of worked as an agent for me and I got a really good deal you know because of the ECW you know fame and stuff like that so I got a nice deal you know guaranteed to hold a light heavyweight title a couple of good years there you know options to re-sign and all that stuff and then he comes back to me and says that uh, they want to keep me but uh, they need me to move to Cincinnati Ohio they were going to renegotiate my contract I believe it was going to be all the way down to like 60 or 65 or something like that. I would be called up whenever they had a position for me. And at that time, I was already like 30 years old, you know, 31 years old. Had a house, you know, kids, two kids, <laughs> you know, so... I just couldn't, and why would I want to live in Cincinnati? You know, I mean, I lived in Nashville, so it was only going to be about a three-hour drive for me. So I could go up and stay a couple of days, you know, and, but I wanted to be able to come back home. And they wanted me to stay there and train at Les Thatcher's gym, you know, I guess do his TV, Heartland Wrestling. And I was just like, you know, I don't, um, I've been in business for 11 years. Why would I need to be trained, you know? And I was an ECW original and standout, so why would I need to be trained? So got back with Jimmy, and uh, Hulk Hogan got in on the deal. Just suggested that it wouldn't be a good thing for my career, because the longer I was there, the more my name value would go down. Until they wound up calling me up, which could be, in John Laurinaitis's, you know, words were, you know how the business is, kid. It could be six weeks. It could be six months. Who knows? So, you know, I was already, my name value was still going. It was still hot. And I was 
had other offers to go to Japan and, you know, back to Mexico and Puerto Rico and places like that. But Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan were starting the XWF. So I wound up saying no to WWE and I went with Jimmy and Hulk, signed a three-year deal with the, uh, it was, gosh, it was the whole shopping work. Yeah. They were the uh, benefactors of the, the XWF. So Jimmy got me a no-compete clause. So if the company ever went under, I would continue to get, get, keep getting paid. Yeah, or they could buy me out. So uh, we, we did like eight tapings. We did about 10 maybe, you know, house shows, you know, in Puerto Rico with Carlos Colon's guys. And we did some out in the Midwest with Terry Funk and them uh, down in Texas and Oklahoma. And after that, they just uh, got a phone call from Jimmy saying that, the uh, Home Shopping Network dropped them because some sort of India warehouse was getting taken over by China. <laughs> so they they took they took their money back. I think they put like eighty million dollars up for that company. Oh shit! But they took yeah, so they took like sixty of it back. But I continued to keep getting paid. But it's shortly, I mean, like within a month after that closing down, I signed with TNA. So I was getting paid from TNA, but I was also still getting a paycheck from the Home Shopping Network for two and a half more years. Jimmy Hart helped you out uh, as much as he could, huh? I thought he got some good deals for you here. Yeah, Jimmy, when I met Jimmy a lot, I mean, like, uh, 15, 20 years ago, he just liked me, you know, and he always offered, you know, his help if I ever needed it, but I, you know, I would call him and get advice from him, and then out of that, he would wind up you know, helping me or guiding me in some way. So, that, you know, Jimmy, I owe Jimmy a ton in my career. You get to TNA, and uh, I, I didn't realize you had worked with uh, <laughs> Dusty Rhodes in a tag match. It was you and, uh, well, now Lance Arster. I think he was going by Dallas then. Yeah. You guys were the tag champs, and it was Dusty Rhodes and James Arster. What's it like working with Dusty Rhodes and some of those guys there? That was great. I actually worked Dusty in quite a few matches, in singles matches, too. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and it was it was just a great experience, of course. I mean, it was Dusty Rhodes, man. You know, I mean, and, and he was so great. He was like, don't change anything about you. He goes, but there's some things that I'm just not going to do. And okay. I'm like, I understand. But, uh, you know, I showed him the respect. Cause I, and, you know, I was brought in. Back in, like you say, you know, 89 and 90, you know, when wrestling was still in that Rock and Roll Express phase, you know what I'm saying? Right. And so it was more the old school way. And so I knew that way. That's the way I was trained. And then over time, I developed my own style. But whenever I wrestled Dusty, I went right back to the days of me training with Ricky Morton. You know, I just let Dusty call the match. And then I added my, my stuff in there, you know, here and there. And I sold, and I was a heel. Whenever I was a heel, I was I was the old Tully Blanchard. You know what I'm saying? Growing up as a full horseman, so I kind of brought out that persona as a heel, and he just loved it. You know, he was like, "Wow!" He goes, "I wasn't expecting that." You know, <laughs> he said, "You didn't even do any offline stuff." And I was like, "Well, you you don't have to." And he says, "I love you, kid." <laughs> Because, you know, whenever he hears somebody say, I don't have to, because that, that means that they know. Mm -hmm. They know how to work. Instead of flipping and doing all the crazy moves, they literally know how to draw a crowd by work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we drew a crowd. I mean, we did. And 
I got to work with uh, Carly Race for a few times. I was doing like a legend killer kind of a thing. Yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, I got to get punched out uh, by Carly Race and uh, Terry Taylor and uh, Larry Zabisco and Bobby Eaton and, you know, so just being able to wrestle those guys and yeah. work with those guys, I mean, for me, and coming up in the era that I did, it was just, you know, for me, it was just icing on the cake on my career, you know. How, how was your time in TNA overall? <laughs> Uh, the worst company I've ever worked for. No, shit. Uh, uh, no really. I mean, and they know it. I, I still tell them all to this day, you know. <laughs> but even when I went down and did those few shows, you know, they were like, oh. you know, it's a, a different management, you know. So, uh, no, I don't. But, mm-hmm. no, it just wasn't a good time there. They took full advantage of everything and just a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't want people in the public to know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, because you could get sued over it, you know, sure. but okay. I mean, I mean, just a lot of trouble with them, you know, their vision was completely different than mine and everybody else's. We just argued about, you know, money a lot and stuff, um, you know, they lied to you coming in, you know, because it was a new company and stuff and, you know, I was already a star for me, CW and, you know, and other places and things of that nature, you know, so I come in there and they talk all this big stuff, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, and, you know, if you can settle for this amount for the first year, then we'll hook you up after that once we get rolling. And I did, and they never changed the pay. I had to, you know, threaten to quit a dozen times, you know, just to get, you know, a few extra hundred bucks a week out of them, you know, and then checks weren't always on time, and then you find out that, some young rookie kid that, you know, that they're using me for. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody with a name value to put over all these new young guys that they wanted to brand for their company. You know, so I'm making everybody look, you know, everybody I was working, make look, make them, give them, you know, give them a name, basically. You know, give them an identity by wrestling and beating me, you know. So every night I'm getting beat by some young kid that nobody's ever heard of, and I'm making them star. But yet they didn't want to pay me what I was worth, right. you know. But come to find out, they're paying the kid that I'm putting over and making a star more than me. And who's never been anywhere other than the independent scene and TNA. That's it. You know, so it was insulting, you know, and stuff. They were doing it to other people. But at that time, you know, WWE had already bought WCW, so... And they bought AWA, and they just bought everybody, right. you know, at that point. So, unless she was with WWE, TNA was the only way to go. So, a lot of guys just didn't even say anything. You know, they just accepted, you know, what they were given, and I just wasn't accepting it, you know. And so, I quit a few times, walked out a few times, sat at home <laughs> a few times. <laughs> at one point, I had to threaten to sue them to get my money, you know, because they, I mean... <laughs> They wouldn't back pay you. They would, you know, give you a check this month, but then you'd go two months without a check. And then they would give you a check on the third month, but not back pay you for the last couple of months. Almost like that other time didn't happen. Like, you weren't missing that money still. Right, exactly, you know. 
you know, at this point, I was like, look, I'm a grown man. I'm not some young 20-year-old kid trying to make it into business in this company. I've already been somewhere. I've already established my name. You know, I've, I've got a, like a, I got a family. I got a house. I'm, I'm an adult, you know, so I, my bills are important to me. And I had no problems paying my bills as a pro wrestler before I, I came here. Now... And my the little contract with uh, Home Shopping Network had ended. I was just counting on the T and A paycheck call alone. You know, after and that just was not enough. You know, it wasn't even remotely near enough. So they bring out T-shirts and stuff like that. And just because of the the merchandise in the contract, if they brought out merchandise with your likeness on it, then they had an opportunity. They had the opportunity to roll you over on your contract. Mm. So at the end of my contract, I've already found me a job. I'm ready to go go to work for somebody else. And they rolled me over on my contract. And, you know, I basically did everything to beg, you know, Jeff to let me out of my contract. And I was like, why would you want anybody working for you that doesn't want to be here? And he looked at me and said, that's my, because it's my prerogative. And that's whenever it all ended for me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to get fired. And uh, I did. I wound up getting fired. (laughs) And then I went to WWE from there. And when I left WWE, they were calling me again, but it was under different management. Bruce Pritchard and guys like that were running the show, Hulk Hogan and, you know, and just a bunch of other people, you know, that I never thought would be running TNA, you know. So I wound up going back there again, and things were good at first, but then the paycheck thing started happening again. You know, they would pay you, and then they wouldn't pay you for a couple weeks, and then they wouldn't back pay you and stuff, and they would say there was no money, but yet I'm looking across the catering table at Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Kevin Nash. Right. I'm looking at uh, Eric Bischoff. I'm looking at Bruce Pritchard. Somebody's getting paid. Mm-hmm. Why, are, why, are, why are the talent not getting paid, but yet those guys are getting paid? You know, so it, it just wasn't uh, what I was in. So I pretty much told them I wanted my release at that point, and they, they, they gave it to me this time. I didn't get fired. So. I heard somebody say, I can't remember the wrestler's name, but they were talking about how TNA was hurting and they need to make cuts. But they didn't cut Hulk Hogan. They cut him uh, a mid-level wrestler. And it was like, that was the equivalent of we're on hard times and starving. But rather than cut out the filet mignon, we cut out the beans and the bread. (laughs) You know, like, why would we? Well, it was because of Dixie Carter, you know. Once Jeff uh, had been left and wasn't a part of the company anymore, you know, they, she was trying to run a company that she had no idea how to run, you know? Yeah. And uh, so what she did is she counted on Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, to run her company. Now, you remember WCW, don't you? Right. right, right. <laughs> Ted Turner, right? right. <laughs> Did you not think that that wouldn't happen again if you got a billionaire's pocketbook to play with? I mean, it wasn't her money. It was her dad's money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, of course, they're going to pay themselves. So of course, they're going to respawn themselves and give themselves signing bonuses of about $300,000. Yeah. Give themselves signing bonuses. Right. I mean... <laughs> 
I think we well, could have like... Not for fifty grand or anything like that, but for like three hundred and four hundred thousand yeah. dollars. It's wild. Kevin Nash was making I think seven fifty, and I and Kurt Angle was making like I think the same. <clears throat> but Kurt was actually wrestling and being a star of the show and stuff, you know. And and Nash and those guys were just in the back, you know. So. How was your time in WWE for that? Did they give you the Cruiserweight title? Obviously, WWE for me, it's like, even at their heyday when they were really cooking on all cylinders, they've never really been one to really push the Cruiserweight division, it feels like, though. Overall, still, though, how was your time, and what was that like? Great time. I mean, it was a good experience, and it was a completely different level. You know, growing up in the business, you always hear that WWE is the pinnacle of the sport. And once you're there... You, you finally realized what they were talking about. The, the atmosphere is completely different, a whole lot more professional, a lot more going on. It's just a, such a big, big, big company, you know, just watching them set stage and, you know, and their, their creative teams and, you know, it's just so many people in one building at one time, you know, trying to make this show right, you know. ECW had a few people running the show. TNA had just a few people running the show. You know, WWE has a an entire army. This is crazy, and they, you know, and they they really put me out there pretty good. They touched on my my character a whole lot better than what you know TNA did. You know, so I had a great time. Awesome. Is there anything you want to promote? Anything you want to talk about you got, so you got going on? I know you said you're pretty much retired, but is there anything you want to get out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I still do, uh, like I said before, I, you know, I still do seminars and stuff like that. So if anybody's interested in seminars or appearances, yeah, go to Kid Cash. Uh, no, I think it's David Cash. My Facebook and just shoot me an email and my Instagram. I think it's David Kid Cash or something like that. I don't know. But uh, you can just look it up. It'll show you. Uh, I'm old now. I just work all day and come home and watch Fox News. (laughs) 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 Awesome. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it a lot, man. Hey, man, no worries. Anytime. Awesome. All right. Hey, have a great night. All right. You too, buddy. Working Fans Podcast, welcome back for another week of the 531, where we take a top five list on a particular subject to beat it down to a top three. And apparently, Zach says there is no top one. So it is the king of the hill, the cream of the crop, the man with the crown, the number one spot. And this week, we're going to have the top five people that should have been horsemen. And to kind of give you an idea what we're looking at, Zach has our first list, and he's got stunning Steve Austin. Rick Rude, Midnight Express, Shawn Michaels, and MJF. Scott's got a list. He's got the Midnight Express, Mr. Perfect. Stunning Steve Austin coming in alongside Brian Pillman. I'm going to guess he means that Hollywood Blondes era. I don't know if they teamed outside of that at all. Chris, no, no, that's the Hollywood Blondes era. Yeah. Okay. Chris Jericho and Rick Rude. couple solid lists so solid. far. Jake has our next list. He's got Stunning Steve Austin, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, 
Shane Douglas, and Adam Cole. Very interesting, Shane Douglas. Being how much Shane Douglas legit had heat and didn't like Ric Flair. But he would have made a good horseman, I think. Yeah, that it, maybe it would have been in a time just like... Just after Flair like goes back to WWE one time, why not put Shane Douglas in there? Interesting pick. Like, I mean, what are you looking for? what's that? It's almost like what you're looking for. When I think of the horsemen, I think of guys that can wrestle, can talk, good-looking guys who are hit with the ladies, and you know, besides being like Rick Flair, you know, like got the Iron Anderson role, but then you also have kind of maybe that young upstart sometimes too that you can kind of strap a rocket to. Well, what's your opinion of the Midnight Express in that position? Because we've got them on a couple lists. The Midnight Express would have been great because they both can work. Now, Bobby couldn't really talk, but he would have been such a good, like, in all the tag teams they would have done besides teaming with Stan. I mean, you put Bobby in the sixth man, he's just the glue that would hold it all together. And as for Stan Lane, he had to look as well. Because, spoiler, you're going to be hearing about Stan Lane on my list. Nice. Now, Randy brought us a list. Randy Osga, fan of the show. He had yeah, number one fan, Patreon. Love this guy. Randy <laughs> Future Patreon. People that are listening, we don't yet have a Patreon, but believe me, we're looking to put one together soon. If you yeah, think it's right. a good idea, email us. Tell us what you'd like out of a Patreon. Sure. But uh, we're going to tell you what Randy likes out of a list. He's mm-hmm. got Seth Rollins, John Cena, Wardlow, Rey Mysterio, and Eli Drake. The only guy I really like on that list is Eli Drake. Seth, on the right circumstances, maybe. Cena, just, I don't see him fitting a horseman because of this. I don't know. I think it's the whole rapping, Gene Short, Mysterio. I don't remember any Luchadors in the horseman. <laughs> uh, Wardlow, it's a little early to tell if he could have fit that muscle role. role. But I guess, you know, you can kind of almost see that. But, I think, if anything, yeah. I see him and Cena both coming in in that muscle role, but, like, also in a sure. suit, you know. I, right. It's, it's, his work is a little out of the box. I'll give him that. But, I mean, as far as guys, I think, just based off their current day character, the only one I see really fitting in there would be a guy like Eli Drake who can talk. Yeah, and yeah. he would actually have yeah, to be well. at a time when you don't have a flair in there, too, because almost, like, similar energies a little bit. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Tully could have carried the horseman, too, on that argument. But at the end of the day, it was going to be carried by Rick. I guess it all depends with, you know, I think Eli would make a good horseman, but would he eventually outgrow a horseman? Yeah, probably. Yeah, he would. it would be like a transitional spot for him. Now, Mike Flynn brought us two lists this week because, as with any of these lists sometimes, they're a little bit open to interpretation. So Mike Flynn had a list. If it was just in WCW, I believe at the time, or just in WCW period, he would have Chris Jericho, Rick Rude, Stunning Steve Austin, Eddie Guerrero, and a young AJ Styles. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. AJ would have been a very interesting one just because of the way he could work. I mean, we yeah. kind of saw in TNA what he is underneath Flair's tutelage with the robes and shit. Yeah, I know. You saw Fortune. Yeah, we did the Fortune thing. That was good. Yeah. I don't know if he liked it at the time. I think he was kind of like a... I don't think he liked being the mini Rick Flair type thing. But I thought that... I don't know. I liked Fortune. I thought it was interesting. I've always liked factions like that. And, you know, like I liked Evolution. You know, to me, it was like kind of a 
homage to, you know, the horsemen. And I don't know. I've always been a big fan of it. Yeah, it was weird. It was almost like the horseman, but with flair in the J.J. Dillon role now. And that's why if they had a modern-day horseman, shit, I mean, I would be excited to see Arn Anderson, Tully. I mean, it's the one thing that, like, AEW almost needs to do, but how do you pull it off right? I mean, even in the NWA, Risky Business, when Nick Aldis is a champ, it kind of reminds me a little horseman not quite, but there's definitely elements there. And with them, Camille, the female, is the muscle. So that's an even more interesting twist on the idea. Yeah, that almost adds like a China DX dynamic with it. So that's why it's very interesting. You know? but, yeah. yeah, I'm a fan of those guys too. Eddie Guerrero could almost fit that Gino Hernandez role that uh, Bruce Pritchard always talks about seeing Hernandez in. So I think that's an interesting pick. Now... Mike Flynn also has a list of, if it was just anyone, he would choose Chris Jericho, Rick Rude, Steve Austin. I'm going to assume stunning Steve again. But the only reason I question myself is because instead of young AJ Styles this time, if it was anyone, he would like to see peak AJ Styles in there. And then five is Adam Cole. It would almost be interesting to hear... I guess because AJ Styles was young when he was in WCW and anything afterwards was his peak and his growing time. I don't know if I see necessarily a peak AJ Styles in the Horseman. It just doesn't seem like his personality. A lot of it really depends like how you interpret this too. Like I could see AJ making a good Horseman, but again, I don't know how long it would last. And you know, like again, Rick Flair was going to be the man. True. Now, AJ, not here this week, but he definitely brought us a list. His list is topped by Kurt Henning. Gino Hernandez is next. Stunning Steve Austin is third. Rick Rude is fourth. And Lord Steven Regal is fifth. Okay, two things. I want to point out to, for anyone who hears this, that Scott talked about this too, and I think AJ had the same mindset. Yes, Kurt Henning was technically a member of the Horsemen. But it only lasted a week. It was all to set up an angle where he was going to turn on them. Oh, right. So, so you don't know. Yeah, we do know that. So they both and, put Mr. Perfect, uh, and in my head I just said Henning, not even thinking that you want more of a peak-level Henning than what you got in the Horseman or the run he had. Yeah, you would like to see how he would have actually fit in that group long haul. It's a little hard to say he was a Horseman for only a week and set up an angle, but technically... You know, I can see the people going, well, actually, Kurt Henning was a horseman. So let's just put it out there. We know. Now that you uh, mentioned that, I think I remember that in the text. Yeah. Yeah. Scott had mentioned it. Yeah. As for Steve Regal, that's an interesting pick. You know, I'm, my picks are more like guys I thought who fit that lifestyle and that look. Regal didn't necessarily have that look all the time. And we didn't really have a guy like. He could definitely fit that lifestyle. Him. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, part of it. And I see him almost going into the horseman, but being like that lone wolf in the horseman with him and Bill Dundee as his manager. And I can see it being a thing where he's with the horseman. Because he's got that different, he's got that British aristocratic air. 
And then I see him breaking away from the horseman almost at first chance. Now, Jesse from New Hampshire has our next list, and he has Bobby Heenan, Alex Wright, Rick Rude, Scott Steiner, and Rick Steiner. Okay. Very interesting list. Uh, first off, Bobby Heenan and that JJ That's an awesome idea. I didn't think about that. Second, Alex Wright would be a pick that maybe some people will go, oh, I don't know, and maybe James the Heat, but, you know, again, probably would have been good with the ladies, would have attracted them. He's an interesting one. One I'm not going to say I like or dislike, but much like Rigo gets me thinking, like, well, I wonder how he would have fit. The Steiner, that's like throwing the Midnight Express in there. I just kind of put the tag team in, but, boy, there are a couple of badasses that could beat you down. So, again, interesting pick there, too. I like it. And the way I see the Steiners coming in is you start them off in the Michigan jackets from that era. You bring them in, and you almost run an angle where, like, you're trying to sophisticate them. Like, you're trying to get them in suits. They can go in the ring, but it's trying to maybe get them into the horseman lifestyle where you could get some lifeline out of that pairing. Mm. Now, former... I mean, they make a good uh, Minnesota wrecking crew. You know, just like being Ole and Iron. Yeah, that's true. Now, former guest on the show, Chris Zauha from the Rock and Randy's Rock and Wrestling Group, he only had Paul Orndorff and Steve Austin on his list. And it's not a bad list, uh, to the point. No, Paul Orndorff is a, a great addition to that list. There's a guy that, uh, you know, likes to wear the fancy robes and also just a tough, tough son of a bitch, too. So he would have been a very good one. It's almost like that Paul Roma. Like, if you had had Orndorff instead of Roma, how much more would people remember his run necessarily? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Roma was hurt by the stigma. Like, Triple H said it best, I think, on a DVD of the Horseman. He said, when they announced Paul Roma, everybody's reaction was like, the job guy from WWE? And unfortunately, that's just, you know, even though he had a good run of power and glory, Jake will tell you that was a favorite underrated team of his, Zach, too. And I, I like him as well. He's used a super flex top rope splash as a finisher, which was very unique back in that day. But Roma was hurt kind of by a stigma going in, and for that reason, probably really didn't lend a lot of credibility and wasn't necessarily a good fit for the horseman. But on paper, he kind of looked the part, you know, dressed nice, you know? Yeah. Now, the next list we have up, this is an interesting list from Char Johnson in the Rockin' Randy's Rockin' Wrestling Group. And the way he gave the list was, I'll read it off and you'll understand where I'm going. It says Revival slash Arn and Tully. So Revival in the Arn and Tully role. MJF slash Flair. So MJF in the Flair role. Trevor Murdoch slash Oli. So Trevor Murdoch in that Oli role. And then Tully in the JJ role. Interesting. So this is almost like, like, this is even the horse that you could see right now. Like, I mean, if, especially if Trevor was an AEW, like, this could definitely be almost a possibility. It's a very interesting list. Yeah, uh, and when I saw him do it, I almost got jealous because I'm like, shit, if I had only thought to, like, put together your modern four horsemen. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, Thor made it into the room. Thor, say hello. This little motherfucker pushed the door open against all odds. <laughs> He's really a worker. Cool. All right, so yeah. where the fuck were we? My list is next. Thor. Yeah, giving, yeah. giving Thor the goddamn business. Thor's getting over. <laughs> My list is next. I got Stunning Steve Austin, Eli Drake, Chris Jericho, Midnight Express, and MJF. 
Interesting. All solid. You know, I don't know why. It's funny you say it, too. Stunning Steve Austin would have made a good horseman. Stoneful Steve Austin, not so much. No, and I mean, no, I can't see it. And it, if you had him in there at all, it would almost be like that thing where the horsemen are trying to civilize him. Almost like the idea I was yeah. pitching with the Steiners. But I imagine right. it just to go not well with Austin. Like, he would be a member of the horsemen technically, but he would be mm-hmm. just such an outside force that you would just think of him as something separate. Now, Dave, we are down to one person we haven't heard from yet. Who do you got on your list? Main event time, baby. I'm going to bring it to you. I like AJ. I thought Dino Hernandez would have been a good fit for the Horsemen. He's kind of like, he's a team with Kelly Blanchard. I think he just kind of, he he lived that lifestyle in and out of the ring, as we all know, if you know about Dino. And he can go in the ring. He would have been a good fit. Nick Aldis. Maybe because Nick would have had to have been the man. He might not have been a good for the long haul, but he fits the look to me. Dresses well, can go in the ring, just the personification of a champion. Now, here's another guy, kind of like Nick Aldis. Maybe he wouldn't be able to fit the long haul because he wasn't going to be the Ric Flair, but kind of a throwback. Nick Flockwinkle, fancy suit, can work in the ring, can cut a great promo. I think Nick Flockwinkle could have made a good horse. Same with Stan Lane. Stan Lane of the Midnight Express. You know, people picked the Midnight Express because, yeah, they're a great team. They would have made great matches. But Stan fit that look more than Bobby did. And another guy I had to include to kind of have a little modern era flavor in there, Adam Cole. Adam Cole's got the look. He can wrestle. He can talk in the ring. And if you've been listening to me on these five runs, you know what a big Adam Cole Mark and Tana is. So that's my list. Nice. Now, kind of from the names that you've heard, I mean, Stunning Steve's definitely popped up a couple times. Rick Rude's sure. popped up a couple times. Who do you think should go into that last spot? I mean, Chris Jericho's on a few lists. MJF's on a couple. Midnight Express. Since one yeah, and two are uh, such a definite spot, I'm going to let you pick the number three from what you think is best. Boy. Based off the names that were tossed around, I think that MJF, honestly, should flip in there. He wasn't on my list, but I thought about putting him on it. But, like, when you look at guys like Jericho and Rude, even though, like, they mean more overall with their body and work, MJF, his ability to talk, the look he has, I just think he personifies what a horseman should look like a little more. Yeah, definitely with that designer scarf he wears and just the way he's always dressed nice when you don't see him in the ring. Mm-hmm. He, he definitely has that air about him where he could definitely make it, I think. I think so. So now it comes to the first cut. We got Stunning Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and MJF. Who do you feel should go first? All right. Again, I'm going to take a look at this like in the big picture. Rick Rude, tremendous career. He's got the look, but there's just something where, you know, like Sonny Steve Austin at points of his career, you know, he played that member in the Dangerous Alliance where he was kind of second fiddle to Rick Rude, if you look at that. Rude didn't play second fiddle a lot. I don't know if ultimately when we're looking at fitting in the horseman, he would have been the guy out of the three. Like, I think he would have had the most trouble fitting in. Too much of a strong mind. Even behind the scenes, like, Rick was one of the guys that 
He didn't like having Bobby Heenan because he didn't want a mouthpiece. And how often do you hear somebody not wanting Bobby Heenan? Yeah, Bobby Heenan's gold anytime. But it also shows you where Rick Rude believes his abilities are, where it's like, I got this. I don't need Heenan. No, and he's tremendous. I just don't know that mindset is what you want for. So you see Rick Rude as the first one out. That was kind of what I was thinking, too, because it's kind of a tough pick between stunning Steve and MJF. I mean, I think on the face of it, MJF seems the more obvious choice. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen that Steve Austin can be that ass kicker. And at right. the time that he would have been in the Horsemen, I mean, he still had that long blonde hair, especially if you have oh, yeah. the idea of bringing him in with Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes. Mm-hmm. That now, that would have been like the younger half of the Horsemen, but I mean, just what a team. I think most of our fans like the older stuff. I think they would actually better us pick Sonny Steve Austin. And I love Sonny Steve Austin. I like Sonny Steve and so old Steve Austin better than I like MJF and that's not a point at MJF it's just both of them are my two favorite characters of all time however again when I look at who's going to fit in the horseman better even Sonny Steven is fine I don't know I mean he's good he definitely fits in more than Rude would have but I just think there's something about MJF the more I think about it I wish I would have included him on my list but the more I think about it I really feel like MJF would have been a great like like he just would have been a piss you off, shit on you, get the whole crap, especially back in that time period, just to hate you. Yeah, he would have gotten that cornet level level heat. So actually, that is a really good pick. All right, so I say if it's a hot take or not, I like MJF. I don't care. That's what I think. And I mean, Dave, you know what the music means. I think we've picked our winner this week, and MJF is the top person that should have been a horseman. And I'll say it on this too. And if you don't like it, it's because he's better than you and you know it. <laughs> Dave's getting that plug in, so hopefully we can get him on the show one day. Gotta get my shit in, brother. I'm <laughs> trying to get over here too. <laughs> God, I know. At least two of us gotta get over out of this group, right? But you know how to get a hold of us. We're on Twitter at fans working. We are on Instagram, working fans wrestling underscore pod. We're on Gmail, working fans wrestling pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys later. This is Paisley, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. All right, everybody. It's the man they call Dave. We're here with the Working Fans Podcast. And today we got a special guest, a young lady who's been a manager, a pro wrestler, a model. Her name is Paisley, and today she's going to teach us why Paisley knows best. Paisley, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to get you on here and talk to you. And we like to start at the beginning, usually. I like to ask, were you a fan of wrestling growing up, or did you kind of fall into this? How did this happen? So, I wasn't a fan when I was growing up. I actually didn't really know much about it. It wasn't until I had kids when they got really into it, and I decided one night, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to buy tickets, we're going to go to the show, and that's kind of when I got into it. I was like, we went there, and I said, you know what, this is something I can do. Kind of caught the ear of the right person, I guess, and it kind of just happened from there. So timing, a lot of times, as we find out in life, is helpful. (laughs) Yes. So you got the ear of the right person. Did that tell you where to train? Like, So where did you end up training, and how did that come about? I was talking. When I was there, I had caught the ear of one of the guys who was working security. He actually had his own academy. So he had me go out and start with them. And he was just like, hey, why 
and and let's see if you know if you can do anything what you've got and then and then I mean it just kind of I just went and decided I was like yeah let's do it and yeah <laughs> that's awesome now have there been some other people along the way that have helped you out on this journey like uh, you know whether personal or people in the wrestling business as far as helping me out honestly everybody that I have talked to you even if it was just a short little like Instagram message or if it's actually people that I'm training with everybody's helped me in some way or another right now I currently train under former impact wrestler hang time so he's He's a huge help, obviously, teaching me all my in-ring training. And then I have a lot of, just a lot of people who I do train with or I do shows with. Everybody's just so nice and willing to help me in any way they can. So I've gotten help from all over the place from so many people. Well, that's awesome. That's good to hear. You know, that's not the journey everybody takes, but it sounds like you've had a lot of positive people around you. So that's good. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I try to keep my ear open. Um, that's the best way is just to kind of be a sponge and take everything in, whether it's good or bad. You know, everybody has their own way of doing things. And it's just great to, to listen to what everybody has to say and then just, you know, listen, ask questions, and just kind of go from there. Yeah, I think, too, like, uh, just to have thick skin is very helpful, too. Like, understand that yeah. sometimes people are trying to help you, right? Yeah. So another thing I want to ask you, too, is, like, what have been some of the harder aspects about the wrestling game? Whether it's physical, travel, promos, what have been some of the tougher challenges for you, you think? Getting into promos is hard, but a lot of it, too, is when you're actually in the show, you have to be able to read the crowd and to kind of all the psychology behind it. You have to know where the good, you know, where the hard camera is. You have to know, okay, these people are really into it, so feed off of them. And, you know, maybe go over this side more. And you just have to really, for me, pay attention to every little thing that's going on. Yeah, so that's, I would say that's probably the most challenging part is just being, like, hyper aware of everything going on. Right. The timing of when to do it. Well, oh, like, you know what to do, but, like, almost when to do it, right? (laughs) Exactly. Because you have to make sure that it looks good, you know, from, you know, all different angles. Because if you look at it, there is somebody on every side of the ring. And you have to make sure if I'm doing something on one side that it's still going to look good on another side, too. So everybody is getting the best possible show. That's very good. Now, you have, I saw you're a model, too. Are there any other interests you're working on currently? Not currently. I'm just kind of learning as much as I can about everything, working as hard as I can. But just, I mean, wrestling right now is huge. Learning how to do the managing, learning how to do homos, that's really, really what I'm focusing on right now. Do you have a preference, whether it's wrestling in the ring or being a manager? I actually really like being a manager. I really, really do like it. I think I love working in wrestling, too, but I just it's a whole different, like, dynamic being a manager. You really get to, to be right up there with the crowd the whole time, but you also get to be, you know, right by ringside, too, and kind of almost in both worlds. And then you do kind of get to get in the ring, too, not necessarily wrestling, but you can get in the ring, to, you know, talk or, you know, maybe distract the ref, stuff like that. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. When you're a manager, I'm just curious, do you feel like you're more part of like almost like a team because you're trying to get the other wrestlers over and the match over too? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) No, I I can see that. And that's, you know, that's a fun thing. I think me personally, like I've always enjoyed that camaraderie almost and trying to help other people, like that team sport mentality. So I I get that. We either win as a team 
Team. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> you have a t-shirt at Pro Wrestling Tees. Did you design that? Or how did you come about that? So, yeah, okay. So some of the t-shirts I did design myself, which is kind of awesome. Other t-shirts, my fans actually designed for me. I kind of do little contests or competitions where people will submit different ideas that they have. And they um, come up with all these different designs. And then uh, we'll choose one of those, me and my team. And so it's kind of, it's really nice because I feel like I get to get them involved too. So my fans are always getting involved doing something. And that's a really great way for me to show them, you know, that I do appreciate them. So I do some and my fans do some. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, now that also too, the fans are now getting a personally vested interest in something too. So I think that's super. Like you're really getting everybody involved there. That's awesome. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's good. It's it's very like almost grassroots kind of, you know, campaigning. I like it. What about goals? Like, do you have a goal you see yourself or you want to see yourself in the next year or anything in particular? So within the next year, I do want to be wrestling more. I want to to be learning, you know, I want to take as much time as I can to learn the business as well as I can and start implementing that inside the ring also. So really within the next year, I just want to focus on my training, getting stronger, you know, learning a lot more of the psychology of it and just really learning all the the different things that are going to help me succeed. So maybe one day I do to go to one of the big agencies awesome awesome one thing i've noticed i think you're really good at is promotion is there any like particular mindset when it comes to promoting you know you just gotta be in touch with everybody and a lot of what you do is i do talk to if you reach out and send me a message i am gonna message you back it might take me a little while but that's one thing that i really strive for because i want people to know me like personally too so the more you do that the more people are going to interact with you and the more they're going to you know tell their friends hey why don't you go check out paisley or to the little 10 year old who is you know so into wrestling and oh my gosh paisley sent them a message you know even if it's just hey thanks for following me or you know if somebody needs a tip on what you know to do to get stronger to work out i even had when school was still in touch i had a young lady reached out to me and asked me which prom dress she thought, or I, you know, she wanted me to pick for her, essentially. So, it's, it's great. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That must be kind of a mind blow a little bit, like, when that happens. <laughs> it, you know, it went it went from zero to 100 so fast, and I, I love every second of it. How did you come up with Paisley Knows Best? Like, who was involved in that process, and how did that work? That was just kind of my, my, uh, my kids, actually. Okay. <laughs> they kind of came up with it. You know, it, it's kind of one of those the mom knows everything type thing. Mm. And they, the 13 year old looked at me one day and was just like, what about Paisley knows best? That sounds great. And I was like, yeah, I like that. Let's, <laughs> let's go with it. Let's run with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Tell people where they can find you and anything else you might want to promote right now. Awesome. So you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, at Paisley knows best. I keep up with all my my fans and everybody there. And it has all my my information for where you can contact me, who you can talk to. I have lots of stuff in the works right now. So just keep up with my pages. Give me a like, give me a follow. And you'll be able to be involved in in Paisley's life. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we'll tweet all that stuff out too when this interview comes out. Thank you for your time. And oh, that was awesome. Thank you so much. This was, no a lot of, this was a lot of fun. No, I really enjoyed having you on. You're a great personality, very charming, and I think that's going to come across. So thank you so much. Oh, 
Yeah, no problem, Al. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 